Might be working. <laughs> Happening now, we want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room episode number 263 on June 29th. Is it already the end of June 2020? My name is Jason Neifer, and I'm the executive director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana's fabulous state virtual school located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in excellently weathered Missoula, Montana, where we're experiencing summer for the first time. And it was kind of winter a couple weeks ago, so we're pretty happy that it's transitioned, although now it's getting a little hot. And joining me tonight, as always, from a different time zone, good evening, Dr. West Fryer. How are you tonight, sir? Good evening, Jason. I am relieved that this ancient Chromebook from... What, know, what do we think? Circa 2004 or something? I don't know. Something like that, yeah. It's yeah, probably it running like Windows 95 uh, on side, so. Yeah, right. Well, at least it's Chrome, so it's hopefully not virus prone. It's running Chrome 76. But, uh, yeah, I'm joining you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I am attending the Carnegie Mellon Lego Spike Prime Robotics Institute Summer Workshop. And I am looking forward to being a computer science and media literacy middle school teacher at Providence Day School in Charlotte, North Carolina. So it is great to join you. And I wish I had flown to the West and then I could have had the beautiful, you know, setting sun over the Pacific or the mountains or whatever, as you had a few weeks ago. But, you know, hey, at least the hotel Wi-Fi appears to be holding up and so is the Chromebook. So yay, Chrome. What are we going to do tonight, Jason? Well, I think about my washed out and poor web, my washed out face and poor webcam. Uh, well, actually, you you look pretty decent, actually, for a, an ancient Chromebook. I have to say that. So uh, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, I actually just returned back from Denver a couple of days ago, where I was at the Global Minded Conference, uh, and also met with uh, uh, friends of Montana Digital Academy, the Enrock Project in California, a maker of the delightful EdReady tool. And um, I have to, I'm proud to report that I took two trips in the last three weeks and didn't pick up COVID. I was on uh, two airplanes, actually more than that. I was on several airplanes, uh, eight airplanes in the last uh, three weeks and uh, did my first travel. And I have to say, uh, I feel very blessed to have access to good quality N95 masks. So I'm pretty sure that was the reason why that um, I survived uh, my time without picking up COVID and I managed to avoid it. Um, you know, for the last uh, 28 months. I'm also proud, proud, I'm not sure that's the right word. I'm happy to announce that I'm going to get a haircut uh, in uh, a couple of weeks. And I haven't really decided uh, <laughs> if I'm going to keep the long hair or not, but things are getting uh, ever so closer back to whatever normal means um, and uh, feeling good about uh, where things are going. But this conversation here isn't about us. It's really about educational technology. Uh, we've scoured the news uh, to find interesting articles from the techosphere. We're going to kind of shoot them through the prism of um, uh, uh, schools tonight and talk a little bit about how the news may impact education. Um, our topics tonight, uh, security, uh, the tech correction, perhaps the ed tech correction, Google, Apple, social media, video conferencing, cryptocurrency, our miscellaneous topic, and then, of course, um, our geeks of the week. So, Dr. Fryer, uh, is there a particular place you'd like to start tonight? Oh, well, I'll just say first that you will know the pandemic is officially over when Dr. Neifer has cut his hair. That is going to be the global sign that everyone is going to wait for. So, well, let's see. Um, 
let's talk about let's just be a little nostalgic. So there's a there's a couple articles I put in under under Apple. Uh, Fifteen years ago today, the iPhone went on sale. Uh, Mac rumors today on July or June 29th noted that, and um, yeah, a lot of things have changed in the last 15 years. You know, I'm. I'm 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 not the oldest person in this workshop, but I'm almost the oldest person. There's only eight of us taking this this class. Um, so yeah, over the last 15 years, uh, what, where were you, Doctor Knifer? What was your situation uh, 15 years ago? Uh, what was your phone? What's your phone look like at that point? Well, I, I back then. I'm trying to think now. I was probably still on a flip phone then, or I had maybe gone to a BlackBerry, but. One of the complications about the iPhone's release um, is that, and I, um, I, th- I think I was starting to become Mac guy then because um, I had picked up, I was able to get one of the white plastic MacBooks um, through a grant. Um, and what was that? Two thousand eight or was it two thousand seven? No, two thousand seven was when. Okay, that, well, yeah. actually, no. Okay, two thousand seven was when it was announced. Yeah, no, well, I guess I should read the article, right? It was it was announced in uh, January of 2007, and then that summer, like six months later, it went on. Yeah, okay, that sounds right. And um, to, to my timeline, so um, I had uh, started using a MacBook, a white plastic, uh, I guess that would be referred to as the unibody MacBook, um, and then um, in 2008, I, uh, I also picked up a Mac Pro desktop, uh, that w- was with me for a very long time. In fact, I stopped using it in like, it was like 2016 or 17. It lasted a long, 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 long time before I needed to, to move on to something else. But, um, uh, I was super excited about the iPhone, uh, because, you know, everyone I think in, in the tech world was because we really did need, uh, uh kind of massive updated smartphones, but it was, I believe, only available on Singular, if I remember correctly. That was the, mm-hmm. the provider that it started with. And there was no singular coverage in Montana. So we had, I had no opportunity to get the iPhone. Um, and it wasn't until they upgraded to the iPhone 4, I think it was. It may have been the 4S, but it was the 4 before I was able to buy one in Montana. And that's when Verizon finally picked it up. Um, and so um, I... Uh, 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 picked one up on Verizon. It obviously was a pretty big game changer for me. And um, I moved up from that from a BlackBerry. And, and I liked my BlackBerry. The BlackBerry was was uh, super nice. And, you know, for, for, it, for its time was a pretty good smartphone. But certainly, um, you know, uh, uh, it, it was better to, to, to move to the iPhone platform. And I did have, and now I'm remembering correctly, also an iPod Touch. Uh, the year after when they made the iPod Touch, it was kind of my my stealth iPhone really and I carried around that thing with me everywhere. So I don't remember if I was still on a, a trio phone at that point, um, which had a, a really powerful web browser. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was sort of like, you remember surfing the web during pine email days using links? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was almost, it wasn't that bad, but it was almost that bad. I got to, you know, go to, to Macworld in 2007 because I had just joined AT&T about six months before. And so, yeah, Singular was the owner, but they were, they had been purchased by AT&T. So they were doing that transition. And, uh, one of the things I remember, I recorded a podcast with my, not surprisingly, with my cousin who I was there with. And like at the very end of that, uh, presentation, Steve Jobs basically said, Oh, and by the way, we're no longer Apple computer. We're just Apple, you know, because that was when, 
iTunes and, and the iPod were just ascendant and, and everything. So anyway, just a, a little bit of a nostalgic uh, article there looking back. Um, but the other article I dropped in um, from Ars Technica today um, has to do with uh, standards and um, charging. And so uh, Ars Technica reports that Brazil is considering a mandate to require USB-C on all smartphones. Um, I actually picked up today a belt universal charger, my lovely washed out <laughs> screen, you may be able to see it, for only $40. Um, but this is, you know, a USB-A to C, micro USB, and lightning charger. So I can I can do it all with this, with this cable. Um, it's really interesting to me that you know, we've had some articles before in the show talking about Europe and some regulation where they're wanting to push for um, USB-C universal. And part of the argument here is that it would reduce e-waste. Uh, but it's interesting from an innovation standpoint to think, you know, how much of an impact that would have. And, you know, the article tonight, this Ars Technica one, says that, you know, Apple is has already been testing, apparently, um you know, USB-C charging. I've, I had an iPad Pro, an early version of that with USB-C and really loved it because I could just travel with a single cable to, to charge my Mac Air as well as my iPad. Um, you know, here I've got a menagerie of, of cables and chargers. You know, my, my Dell has, Chromebook has its own charger, my Apple Watch, you know, uh, the phone, you know, the iPad and the phone have the same one. But anyway, any thoughts that you have on, on charging? Do you think this is a, a good move? And I guess it is something, well, eventually, from a, from a school standpoint, I really liked having USB-C charging on our Chromebooks. We had new, brand new Dell Chromebooks uh, that were manufactured last summer, I guess. And anyway, we started the year with them. And it was lovely. The chargers were inexpensive. It was like eight bucks or 10 bucks or something, I think, to pick up a charger. Um, so anyway, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's an important point that um, uh, there's certainly an e-waste issue here, which is the reason why I think both Europe and, in this case, Brazil is, is having this conversation. That That's certainly part of it. Um, Apple argues that, um, you know, uh, that the reason why they haven't moved that standard earlier is because they've been on their lightning standard for some time now, and it would create a bunch of e-waste. That's true, but you know, continuing with two different standards uh, for a long time is going to actually, in the long term, increase the e-waste problem. But um, I, I really like USB-C, and in fact, I'm using, um, so I, I'm traveling again. Um, it's funny because my travel pack, the one that I used to carry with me that that is uh, was an extremely well-thought-out bag that was ready to go for any kind of business uh, scenario as I traveled, and I typically carry... Uh, three devices with me, a laptop, a tablet, and a phone. And uh, this was the first time, because now I'm, I'm back to iPad world again, that last week I was traveling with a Chromebook, um, uh, uh, an iPad uh, uh, Air 5, which is USB-C, and then my iPhone with a lighting charger. And even though one thing I have noticed is that it's not quite as elegant as you can just carry one charger and cable with you. And part of that is because, you know, if you are using your devices a lot during the day, like if you're at a conference or working with them on business, you know, you, you can't just leave the single one on overnight. You need to charge all your stuff up, right? So that, that's a lesson I've had to learn. But I'm absolutely in love 
with having just the single charger with me, even though I still have to carry another cable around for the lightning, uh, for the lightning piece. But I, I would be ecstatic. And I don't think, uh, well, my understanding is that it's what the 14 coming out this year, the iPhone 14 coming out. Um, uh, I don't, I've read a couple of conflicting articles on whether the USB-C port will make it into this year's phone, but that would probably be enough for me to, especially since I I think I've got some kind of upgrade deal with T-Mobile to go ahead and go with the 14 Pro, um, in, in, in 2022. Um, and then while we're just talking about Apple for a second, I, I did something that, um, uh, that has kind of changed my view a little bit. Um, so, and I think I mentioned this a couple of times. I did buy the iPad uh, uh, Air 5, um, and uh, I bought one with a cell connection on there. That's always really important to me, and um, also uh, with with larger RAM. So it wasn't cheap, but I sold my, uh, my old iPad, and I had a couple other tech items uh, sitting around that I sold via Swappa, Swappa.com, um, and uh, was able to, to get... Um, a lot of it paid for, and then I had a gift card that had been sitting around for about uh, a year that um, I was able to do that as well. But the thing that I want to mention that I did last week, which kind of fits into this discussion, is I had to buy the used one because I didn't want to spend $300 for it, but I did pick up the Apple um, keyboard case for, this would be the iPad, the most recent iPad Pros, and then the 20... Uh, 20 and 2022 iPad Air, so that iPad Air 4 and 5, and um, it, it, it was a used one. I got it for about half the price that, that I would have picked it up otherwise, and, um, you know, you always take a little bit of a risk when you're buying a used item on eBay, but this person allowed returns and stuff, and it was a little scuffed up, but I think I added more scuffs, you know, throwing it in my bag uh, to Denver last week than it came with, but... This is just a really compelling um, platform, more compelling than I thought it would be. I still don't love iOS as a desktop uh, uh, operating system, so that it's not great. But this keyboard and mouse are extremely good. Uh, obviously, it has the, the high Apple uh, build quality. Um, the iPad itself just snaps right into it with a magnet. Uh, it, that's all it takes to install it. And uh, iOS is pretty great with its uh, mouse uh, commands. Um, and also, once you learn the keyboard shortcut, you can start whizzing around that screen uh, without much issue. Uh, and and, and, and uh, you can figure out the multitasking piece pretty well. What I found was that I was carrying around, I'm not a type on your phone kind of guy. I don't take notes on my phone. I don't record data usually on my phone. It's just not, it's just not a big enough platform for my big thick thumbs to be able to, to, be able to do that accurately. Um, in fact, if anything, when I can, I do dictate to my phone um, just because I'm not a great thumb typer. But I also don't particularly like typing on the iPad either because the virtual keyboard just doesn't work super well for me. But what I found was that um, dependent well, and, and my day job's changed a little bit too, so I'm doing a little less of the day-to-day stuff. Then big picture think as 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 the the leader in my org, but um, I think I could get away with just carrying an iPad in my bag to a conference or to vacation. I, I'm, I always bring a laptop with me everywhere. In fact, the last major trip I took is this right? I think it is. The last major trip I took was a Thanksgiving trip to Costa Rica. 
um, that uh, I actually brought a Chromebook with me, a small Chromebook, but a Chromebook with me so I could have a computer there. And I think I had a tablet with me too. Um, but I think this is perfectly uh, acceptable to do pretty extensive work on. And um, it's super portable. Um, it, it, uh, it looks super nice. I love this Apple uh, keyboard case. I think it's, it's super nice looking, even with the, the kind of pastel blue. But, um, you know, it, 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 I could be to the point where I might be down to two devices again. Um, and I, what I did carry with me was the um, 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 uh, uh, what was I trying to say? What did I carry with me? It was seemed super important. Not a Chromebook. Uh, well, I carried a Chromebook with me. I forgot what I was going to say, but the point is, is that uh, it, it's pretty, um, uh, it's it's pretty interesting stuff, and um, I feel like that there's a, a, a there's something there. And with all the announcements they made um, at the developers conference a couple weeks back regarding ways they're going to try to make the iPad more. Um, uh, uh, the iPad more um, kind of uh, uh, keyboard and desktop friendly. I think that's a good direction for them. Well, while we're talking about personal devices, so uh, I picked up on Swappa for my wife a newer iPad, um, a 10.2. I don't know, it's like a fifth generation. I don't know, it's not fifth generation, but anyway, it's a. It, it was larger. This is a. This was a, a 9.7 inch uh, iPad Air 2. So anyway, this is what I inherited. But the batteries. It's just terrible in it. And so I did done research. Um, Apple, you have to send in your iPad and, but they'll give you the exact same model for a hundred dollars with a brand new battery. But I mean, and this, this has pretty good value on Swappa. Uh, I think it could, it could probably fetch, but somewhere between 75 and $150. So I don't know. I was looking at new iPads and things. And of course, I love to sketch and draw and the Apple Pencil. I've been really spoiled, um, you know, at, at, in my last school, in my last position. I think I'm just going to adjust. This is wonderful. I'm going to get it, uh, I think, in, uh, a MacBook Air as a, as a teaching device. But anyway, I'm probably on my own to, to come up with an iPad. So our son, I think I mentioned maybe two years ago, uh, went ahead and, and bought his own brand new iPad Pro and, you know, has the keyboard and everything. And I think he still has, well, actually, no, he gave away. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's, he doesn't have his Mac, um, his Mac, Mac Pro anymore. He's just iPad only for his Apple stuff. He's also Linux and Windows and whatnot. Yeah. But uh, at this conference, it's interesting. We're using a really nice setup with dual monitors with Windows PCs for using the the Lego Robotics uh, software, uh, which is called Spike uh, for Spike Prime. And anyway, it's really nice because you can have one screen with the instructions and working on your code on the other. The, the main thing I'm missing in this is just continuity, right, and being able to copy a link or take a picture and share it, you know, with AirDrop, you know, uh, back and forth and things like that. Uh, so I've had to, like, email myself pictures and, you know, I'm using a Google Doc to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. But anyway, it is uh, – it's interesting to hear you say that about the iPad, and I think I'm going to – I'm going to have to consider – I don't know, uh, de you know, definitely just doing a, you know, $100 because I'm using this mainly to consume, to, to read articles, to share things, you know, use the Kindle app, you know, those those kinds of things. But I do love to sketch and draw, and there's some really cool stuff. I don't know if this will actually get the latest operating system, but some really cool stuff we talked about a few weeks ago on the show, I think after WWDC, um, with uh, like a sketch noting sort of, you know, support app that they're going to build in and, and, and things like that. So, 
Yeah. And I will say the educational discount is out there. Um, if you want to go ahead and purchase a computer or whatever, I've, I've been to the Apple store twice since I've been here in Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> Fan boy. So, yeah. Well, you know, Hey, it's a nice neighborhood there. I had, had, had some nice dinners the last couple of nights, but yeah. Anyway, yes, we go and, and see the things and, and wonder, ah, you know, it, am I do, do I need to get something new? So, but that ends the Apple articles that we have. Where else would you, like to go tonight, Dr. Knifer. Sure, yeah, I've got a couple of Google articles I can share, all of our kind of interesting updates. Uh, let me start with the more practical ones, and there's a philosophical one I'd like to share as well. So the first one is from About Chromebooks, uh, Kevin Tofel's blog on June 28th. He details the seven new features in Chrome OS 103, and I think it's imminent. Um, uh, yeah, it is. It's on its way, and it started rolling out uh, Monday evening. I did not see it on the Chromebook I was using today, um, but it comes in, in, in different timings depending on which Chromebook you're using. But there are a couple of great features in here that I want to highlight, and uh, and I'll talk about this maybe in context of the Chromebook, um, uh, other Chromebook article that I'm sharing today. But the first one is that the screencasting stuff that's already been announced and it was available in beta is now available uh, in the staple channel, which means that all Chromebooks will be able to get this. And I have to say, it is a very elegant, um, if, if maybe a little simplistic implementation of a screencasting software. And in fact, it's super interesting today because uh, we run Chromebooks with some of our part-time, um, our part-time external uh, uh, staff um, that is doing um, uh, professional development and ambassador work throughout the state of Montana. And they are all, um, uh, and they were leery adopters of the Chromebooks. And we had some pretty good reasons to go in that direction. But uh, someone was asking me today if, you know, what screencasting was available there. And I would have uh, sent them towards Loom or one of the other 10 other solutions. But this is all baked into the operating system now. It's really elegant. It's super easy. You can actually draw on the video, whether you're doing it at the time you're recording it or after. It's a really, really, really interesting and elegant solution, and it saves directly to Google Drive where you can instantly share it. And, and to be clear, Google Chrome OS has supported screen recording, but as you're defining screencasting, and I'm looking at the screenshots there, we're talking about really a full-blown screencast. Well, and you could do this with Screencastify, which was an add-on. Yeah. But when you wanted to put your own picture, you know, somewhere, large, small, move it around. Yeah. And then, like you said, the John Madden uh, Telestrator annotation, um, that is pretty cool. And I guess that's yeah. a sign of increasing processor power in Chromebooks right. and then also just the maturity of the operating system. But definitely the hardware, I would think, you know, being even more powerful. Well, and I've tested this feature on a minimalist Chromebook. Uh, a couple weeks back, Target was was selling um, uh, very consumer-level Chromebooks for uh, this one, I think, was retailing for $169. It was on sale for $79. And because, you know, what I really need is another Chromebook. Um, but I bought it, um, and it's, you know, super plasticky, but it's it's pretty speedy considering the, the specs for the Chromebook. Um, and the thing that I thought was super interesting about it was I did try this out, and I think I put it into the beta channel to get access to this. And as it turns out, 
fascinatingly uh, uh, simple to use, and even on that minimalistic Chromebook. And, you know, I think screencasting screenshots is really kind of one of the, the, the major ways that, that we communicate with one another in a more digital world, right? Um, if 12 years ago, it would have been unheard of for a student, for example, to send us a, a, a screencast of a problem they were having on their computer with our distance learning program, and now that's not unusual at all. And in fact, uh, you know, sometimes we, we have to send instructions uh, on how to do that, uh, but they're easy to follow. And this capability, uh, especially the advanced stuff with the, you know, John Madden features and the, the little loom-like circle that you can put with your, your, um, your, your webcam in there, it's, it's pretty great. Um, there's a couple other features I think are interesting. Um, they are uh, adding other kinds of archives, um, uh, and they are now... Um, uh, uh, expanding the way you can utilize zip files on your Chromebook. Um, instead of opening it up like another drive, you can just have it extract everything to a folder. It's more of a power user move. Uh, in fact, most people, I, you know, never encounter zip files. Um, and in fact, um, that's would be something I would get a family tech support questions on all the time. That just rarely happens anymore, but that's good news. Um, there are, and there's also uh, more advanced features now with virtual desktops, which uh, virtual desktops aren't really used by many people outside of power users in any of the major operating systems, but I love it, especially on a Chromebook uh, when I'm trying to be organized or, or utilize my Chromebook in a productive way. And then they've also updated some of the Linux features on Chromebooks. Um, the other thing that's also uh, noted in this is that they're working on fast pairing uh, for Bluetooth. Bluetooth uh, pairing on a Chromebook is not super great. It's not awesome on Windows either. It's a little better, a little bit better on, on, on Mac OS, but the uh, Bluetooth pairing on Android and iOS and, 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 and iPad OS for that matter is, is much more elegant uh, than it is on desktop operating systems. That makes a little bit of sense, but that's coming to, to, that, uh, to, to a Chromebook near you in the near future. You know, sitting here as I am on a Chromebook running Chrome OS 76, and what am I seeing? This is like 103 that it's going to be. You know, we talk about on the show how it's important to update and things like that. You know, it's got me thinking, okay, when do I need to end of life, you know, this Chromebook? I, I took this Chromebook to Egypt four years ago when I was feeling, I don't know, paranoid about, um, hey, Peggy, uh, feeling paranoid about data and just, you know, in my devices and whether, you know, plus they were school. This is my own device and I didn't want my school device, you know, things got stolen or whatever. So anyway, what what advice would you give, Jason, to someone you know who has an ancient Chromebook? <laughs> when should you definitely decide to retire that thing and, and, and put it to bed? Or I don't even know if this has value on Swappa. Well, I mean, I, I, there's there's two things I would suggest. The first one, if it's still working for you, I mean, it is a security risk, right? But it's a relatively minor security risk. And you know, if you're just using it for casual browsing, um, it, it, chances are it, it, it's it's not going to be a real issue for you. The problem, though, with a uh, and I just looked what uh, you said it was 76. Is that what version it's on? Okay, that would be uh may 2019 so my guess is is that's probably uh, i think my, my my date estimate pre-show was correct it's probably about a 2014 chromebook um 
it may get to a point where it can't do even some of the entertainment pieces anymore, right? So no, no Netflix, for example, or uh, it, it may stop showing YouTube videos because th- those technologies tend to have security protocols built into them that over time may break on, on older, unupdated browsers. But it's still working for you, and it's really just looking up Recipe Chromebook, then I think that's, that's super great and continue to use it. Um, the, uh, the, what I would argue though, is that you may be able to, to still update that, um, uh, to a modern OS because you, uh, one of the things you can do with uh, Chromebook flex, which is the, um, the downloadable version of uh, Chrome OS that's intended for old Macs and PCs. There are ways that you can wipe that Chromebook and you might be able to update it to the modern operating system. And I've tried that with, um, well, an eight-year-old, actually a 2014-era Acer Chromebook. I did that, and it works just fine. Um, the 2013 Chromebook Pixel that I picked up for a song a while ago uh, works just fine in that way. You have to do some hacking to get it done, but there's a, a script you can download uh, uh, from something called Mr. Chromebook. Uh, I believe it's mrchromebook.tech that will be able to allow you to do that. And then you're getting the updates again. So it's not for the faint of heart, but it's also not so techy that, uh, you know, it's out of control and, and unaccessible to you. So yeah. I would suggest, you know, maybe that's a way to update that particular Chromebook. Okay. Peggy's asking if there's any use for a Chromebook that isn't connected to the Internet. Um. The answer is maybe, but probably not, um, from the standpoint of that if you have a Chromebook that, that either you can't or will not allow onto the Internet, you might be able to do some Linux work on there, but probably nothing for the typical end user. Um, and, you know, like, obviously, you know, Wes, you're using a, an outdated Chromebook that's not getting updates anymore, and it was good enough tonight to get you, you know, to broadcast, you know, internationally on our, pro, or on our, our, our podcast. But, uh, you know, that, that, that's something to keep in mind as well. The website I looked it up is mrchromebox.tech. So Excuse the, me. Yes. That's yeah. Right. The other one you mentioned, I'll put in the, the link, yeah. the link that, that you mentioned is a, a different domain. Thankfully, nothing that was dramatically shocking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> uh, like oldwhitehouse.com. But yeah, that's the, that's the thing to remember, uh, uh, is that, you know, they're flexible there. Um, I, I want to know that there's two other quick articles. Uh, one of them, Chrome Unboxed, uh, did an interesting thing. This is actually a hallelujah for me. Uh, Google Forms now has more options for uh, fonts and stylizing those forms, which is a hallelujah to me um, because uh, I am a big fan, especially when I'm wor- working on technical documents or things for teachers, students, site facilitators. I like to underline and highlight and italic things because that's an important part, I think, of getting your message across, especially since people are kind of lazy readers in, in 2022. But there's another article that I thought was super interesting um, from Chrome Unboxed on June 21st. Talks about how the Chromebook has become the Swiss Army knife of computing, and I find that to be a, a very interesting uh, a prospect. Uh, Chrome Unbox is unashamed, uh, unashamedly advocates of Chromebooks, right? Like they really do believe that Chrome OS is is a, a good enough operating system, even though that they they they've admitted, uh, not sheepishly either, that you know when they're doing 
uh, editing tasks for the videos they do on on YouTube. They're digging out a Mac Pro, or I think it was a MacBook Pro, to, to be able to do that. But you know, they see every Chromebook, they they, they review every Chromebook, uh, everything from the super low end, you know, mass produced for schools Chromebook to the high end. Uh, the big big joke right now, and I think we talked about this a couple of weeks back, the HP Dragonfly Chromebook, which you can get a, a version of that's twenty five hundred dollars. Um, it's super fast and an incredible piece of hardware, but you know, way, way more than you need to be a productive Chromebook user. But um, one of the things that, that they're making the point of is that it, it it's gone come a long way, and there are um, uh, interesting uh, things you can do with a Chromebook now. Most of the objections that most people would have on Chromebooks, say six or seven years ago, are just no longer an issue. Uh, printing is is no longer a a, a big deal. Um, and in fact, you can find network printers, and you can plug a printer right into your Chromebook, and it works just fine. Um, gaming is now becoming more possible because of the Stadia uh, uh, pr- uh, uh, system on Google that allows you to stream um, uh, games to your Chromebook. And somewhere around here, I have a Stadia controller that I picked up. I was offered it for free from Google a year or so ago, and I paired it to a Chromebook before. It's a really interesting platform, and it feels like a pretty decent way to game. Um, in fact, I almost, if, if I thought I was going to have any downtime in Denver, which I did not have even a single minute of, but if I thought I was going to have any downtime, I might even pack that and utilize my Chrome to play some games in my hotel room. Um, not necessary um, in this case, but we able to do that. Um, and if you want to be a little more of a hacker, um, you can absolutely install Linux applications. You can certainly get the desktop experience there. Um, and even with the super cheap Chromebooks, the $79 Chromebook I picked up at Target um, is good enough um, uh, to do most common tasks for $79. And the reason why I think this is super interesting is that um, 15 years ago, you know, when uh, netbooks were a thing, right? And everyone said this is the revolution of computing because they were available for so dirt cheap. And the thing I always loved about netbooks, and I, I can't remember which ISTE it was, but uh, it would have been like the 2008 ISTE, maybe the 2009 ISTE, when networks are a big deal. And, of course, you want to find the nerdiest of nerd teachers. ISTE is the place to go. Shout out to all of our friends at ISTE this week um, in, in New Orleans. But um, I, I went to ISTE, and, um, you know, it's always a curiosity to me to see the devices that people are carrying around at ISTE. Like, that's one of the, the best people watching at ISTE, if you're a nerd, is what devices people are using. And there were a lot of netbooks there, but it was like a side computer to their main laptop, right? So they, they're carrying around their MacBook and a, um, and, a, and a netbook, or they're carrying around their... Um, you know, their, their large uh, uh, mobile workstation Windows uh, PC, and they're carrying their, their netbook with them. And, um, and that's because there was just too many compromises on netbooks, right? Uh, that They were slow, the keyboards were super tiny, um, and the, uh, I had a 7-inch a, a netbook that was running a Linux derivative that we bought um, as an experiment in my school, and I carried it around for a couple of weeks uh, just to see if I could figure out what, what what it was useful for, and the answer is nothing. But tablets blew that market away, right? That, in my humble opinion. But in a lot of ways, the you know seventy nine dollar pretty decent Chromebook is the is the promise of the netbook fifteen years ago that 
Um, and, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it at some point. I always like to take low-end devices and give them the one-day-at-work test, which is I'm going to use it exclusively one day at work, and I'm a power user that runs uh, an online school. I'm on my computer for seven and a half hours a day, a minimum, uh, at work. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's come a long way. So I still f think a lot of people are kind of snobby towards Chrome devices, but I really do think they're a, an incredibly viable option for classrooms and, and even for power users. Absolutely. And, you know, we're being nostalgic uh, thinking about the iPhone 15 years ago. That article is talking about 11 years. Think about the mindsets, especially in educational IT, that have been really, really changed by, you know, what used to be called Google App for Education, uh, Google Workspace now. Um, you know, how many how many schools are, are running Google and Gmail and then with the pandemic, I mean, I would, I'd love to see, I'm a map guy, so I'd love to see, you know, state level maps showing all school districts and what are they using for student computing devices. And I'm sure that that number is more than 50% for Chromebooks today. Uh, iPads, you know, still have a, a footprint uh, and MacBook, you know, MacBook Airs, I think do more among faculty than, than they do among students. They're still, you know, schools that are using MacBook Airs for, for students, but just, you know, fewer and far between. But yeah, it's a, it's a great platform. And, and the point that article is making is it's just, don't assume it's just for kids. Um, yeah. This is, we're seeing the iPad mature in terms of its keyboard and its capabilities, you know, and yeah, it's phenomenal that I'm sitting here on a Chromebook that is, you know, most likely, uh, you know, seven years old, and we're we're sitting here doing a web show. The fact that I'm washed out has more to do with this these light bulbs that are over here than it does, you know, with the poor quality of my camera. Um, so hey, my dad is tuning in. So hello to Tom Fryer in Manhattan, Kansas, and thank you, George. I I'm not able to chat anymore for some reason. It's just giving me an error when I'm trying to put links in. Uh, but Peggy had a question. Uh, if either of us have participated in the ISTE Live conference sessions, I have not. I've been working on this robotics uh, workshop here in Pittsburgh. Have you uh, taken time to tune in to any ISTE Live stuff or looked at any ISTE hashtags or anything like that this week, Jason? I have to deny hashtags um, because I, I have a lot of friends there this week, and there was no way I was going to be able to pull off, even from a mental health standpoint, a, a conference that intense. And I have to say, um, you know, the, this was a small conference last week, very intimate in comparison to ISTE, and I was exhausted at the end of, of those three days, absolutely exhausted. Um, but I've been following some hashtags, interesting stuff going on there as always, and it is a delight to see so many people, you know, uh, joyously uh, 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 connecting with their colleagues that they haven't seen in, in some cases, three or four years. So, uh, uh, you know, my hat's off to all the good people hanging out in New Orleans this week. Yeah, absolutely. And when my wife learned it was in New Orleans, she said, what? Because, you know, we've kind of thought we wouldn't maybe go to ISTE some more. We've enjoyed, you know, smaller conferences, but we do want to go to New Orleans. So who knows when it goes back, but it'll probably be a while. I They must have, did they build a new convention center down there? Because part of the thing about ISTE was they had to be in these monstrous, gargantuan convention centers, and there's just not very many around the country that can handle it. Yeah, I actually haven't heard anything about that, so I'm assuming that they must have found a spot or that they expected a smaller, uh, slightly smaller event this year. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's the reason why it's not coming to a, 
uh, a convention center near you is because uh, there's just so many places they can do that. And the other the other uh, issue uh, with ISTE, and this is a rabbit hole, so I won't just mention this, but it is a financial investment to go there. I like going to ISTE. If I can find someone that will fly me down or something, or I can do a training or something there to help uh, subsidize that, uh, that makes it worth it to me. Um, but it is an extraordinary couple of days. Um, and, you know, um, uh, uh, Wes and I have met up there a couple of times. Um, I have about seven or eight friends that I would never get to see except for ISTE that don't end up at some of the regional conferences that I end up going to. But there is a lot to be said for both models. Something you said about the incredible boat show nature of ISTE. You can see every vendor on Earth. And a lot of people, their upcoming vendors, too, will be in their, their startup pavilion, which I think is great. Um, but then there's a lot to be said too. I, I would never not go to NCCE, um, because that's, I mean, it has a lot of the same topics covered and a lot of the same innovation is covered there, but you, a lot less people to get to know and, uh, you can, you know, make better connections there. So a lot of value in both models. So I will remind everybody if you want to check out our links, normally I'm putting these links in as we talk about them. Um, and then I was actually, I would go through that to get our links in order. Now I'm just making them bold on our document. But you can get to our Google Doc at edtechsr.com slash links, and you can check those out. I would like, Jason, if we could, to talk a little bit about TikTok. Um, and I put Please. two links under security. Um, the first one is from yesterday, June 28th in Business Insider. An FCC commissioner calls on Apple and Google to remove TikTok from their app stores, saying it is a national security risk. And if we turn back the clock over a year more, uh, you know, in the show, we were talking about this because uh, then President Trump uh, was, you know, lambasting China and talking about security issues. And I will admit that I don't I didn't know at that time and consider whether this was a political move or whether this is genuine, like, yes, th these are security issues. Um, so the, uh, the article, this is the, uh, co the, the commissioner of the, uh, the FCC um, messaging Tim Cook and Sundar Pichai, both the CEOs of Apple and Google, uh, Brendan Carr, uh, writes that TikTok, quote, poses an unacceptable national security risk due to its extensive data harvesting combined with Beijing's apparently unchecked access to that sensitive data. Um, and the article has a link to a BuzzFeed News article, which I've also put in the show notes. This is from June 17th. And the title of this article is Leaked Audio from 80 internal TikTok meetings shows that U.S. user data has been repeatedly accessed from China. Um, I know my dad's listening, so he'll be interested in this. TikTok, in defending themselves, well, maybe it's not that we're down to one viewer, so maybe we're just with Peggy. Um, anyway, Booz Allen Hamilton, which is the company uh, that our son works for, uh, is mentioned in the article because they are uh, the, the company that has had security researchers and consultants trying to help with this. But... The article mentions, and I think this is the one from Business Insider yesterday, that that this wouldn't be legislation because I don't think this is this isn't going to be subject to congressional approval. So these are going to be, uh, you know, mandates coming from the FCC that is going to involve data handling and what what they're trying to do. And TikTok is claiming that they do, and it's called the quote Texas Project, is keep all of the user data for 
United States citizens on servers that are located in the United States and not going to Texas. Well, what these articles detail is that all this code was created in China and that folks who are working for TikTok in the United States have on multiple occasions not had the expertise and knowledge to know how to prevent the data from flowing to China. It's had to go there for people to be able to analyze. And so there's personal information. And what security folks are concerned about is the amassing of of databases of personal information about US citizens and the way that that could be exploited by the Chinese government. And so I think this is really a pretty big deal for uh, the FCC to formally ask both Google and Apple CEOs to remove the app from the app store. What I'm reminded of, you know, Jason, you've helped me. I, I didn't buy any cryptocurrency on your suggestion. I do have, I know it is, I know it is. I do have AirTags and I, I am a, on TikTok for barbecue TikTok. But what I haven't done, and I don't know how many of, uh, of our, our listeners have run into this with social media, you know, this this happened to me with Clubhouse when I and it was too quick. I got this prompt. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just granted Clubhouse access to all of my contacts, all of them. And so TikTok wants to do the same thing. Right. Oh, we'll be able to find your friends if you, you know, give us access to your entire, you know, contact list. And and part of the ways that big data companies are making their money and they can they connect the dots is they're able to get access not only to you know, your birthday and whatever information, your email and phone number and things that you turn over when you create your account. But then you say, oh, sure, I'd love to, you know, connect to my friends. And then you give access to your contacts. And that's all that personal information. And just like we've talked about with, quote, meta information for phone calls, you can learn a heck of a lot of things about somebody when, you know, number one, you have access to their phone records and who they've called and how long they've talked to them. And, you know, and, and GPS goes into this as well. But anyway, um, I think that this is a significant thing. The, the Business Insider article from yesterday suggests that the legislation which is coming down the pike from the FCC is not only going to affect TikTok, but it's going to affect all businesses in terms of data. And it reminds of the, the GDPR, the European General Directive on Privacy Regulation, I think, uh, which has caused a lot of technology companies, including educational technology companies that affect schools, to have to have data centers, you know, located in Europe, not in the United States, not in India or, or whatever, um, because countries are interested in protecting privacy. But the other thing that the article points out is that if they wanted to, Chinese, you know, companies and individuals can probably just go on the open market and buy this data that is openly sold and there are not U.S. laws, you know, prohibiting that. And so we really still are in this complete wild west of data privacy. I think you have an article maybe under that same heading or, or under tech correction, you know, talking about data because we've got some people saying, please, you know, let's not use this app. It's being used, you know, poorly. But we've got this whole marketplace of, of our user data where we really don't have any rights to be able to even know what is being kept in and whether it's accurate or not and trying to limit, you know, companies and their ability to, to sell, et cetera. So it is kind of a mess. And I do think we need some privacy protection in the United States um, that would, would, would be, a, 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 you know, something written into U.S. law and U.S. code, uh, not something that's just a fiat that could be, you know, easily turned off or on by, by, uh, 
a new president or, or whatever. I, th- I think we, we need some substantive privacy law, but I don't, I'm not optimistic that's going to happen anytime soon. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, this is not the first time I think we've even talked about it, even on the podcast, that there's a lot of people that have, have uh, rung alarm bells about TikTok. And um, I'm not even all that uncomfortable with data being accessed from China because it is a Chinese company, right? Like, and so, like, like that argument alone doesn't, it doesn't hold a lot of weight with me. But if an FCC commissioner is saying that it's it's more complex, um, and if, uh, well, I mean, you make a really good point, Dr. Fryer, about the notion of um, how um, uh, the context piece of it, right? Because, you know, by itself, it's not all that, I would imagine that that data is not all that useful. We start triangulating it with other people and their data, and suddenly that explodes the the possibilities of what that might be used for. And it doesn't take uh, that paranoid of a person to come up with some ideas, especially if there's something in your likes or if you stumbled into a piece of TikTok that uh, you wouldn't want publicly announced that you are, are, are viewing that content or sending likes or even commented on that comment. I think that's an important piece of this too. But I wish that there was a little more detail about these, about exactly what the risk is, right? Because I think there's some specific information available. And I also know that uh, I believe TikTok is banned on military bases. Um, I know some members of the active duty military that told me that they've been discouraged or, or commanded to not have TikTok on their phone, especially when they're on active duty. Um, and, you know, I, I, I take the FCC commissioner at their word that, uh, you know, it may seem like it's memes and funny videos, but there's something deeper there. And, you know, it doesn't take long, by the way, to get into political TikTok. Uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty rife. Um, uh, last week after the Roe decision was handed down, um, you know, TikTok exploded with, um, uh, uh, was that Monday or it, I know it's, it's Monday. Monday. Yeah. Monday. It used to be faster and slower on a regular basis, but Friday, uh, it was Friday, maybe uh, the, um, the, you know, part, part of that process that I think is, is, is worthy to think about is that, you know, if you, know, even though you're publicly commenting on something, you know, you might be doing that anonymously. And in fact, my TikTok account is not under my name. I, I think it's associated with me somehow, either email address or phone number. So it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that that information uh, would be useful to someone, but it's just something to keep in mind. And what's really hard about this is that the logarithm seems very accurate. And although, you know, I think any social media platform is problematic uh, for a variety of reasons, I, I like it. I, it's actually, a, I enjoy viewing videos on the platform. So I hope there's more information available soon. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, one of those articles mentions that, that uh, former President Trump was trying to get a, a U.S. company to buy TikTok, and I can't remember why that deal fell through. I think part of it was that um, uh, uh, that ByteDance, the owner of TikTok, was leery uh, about the offer. But the bottom line is is that you know I, these are the questions we have to dig through. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, well, I want to point out that article that you mentioned is part of the context of this. It's a pretty good article. Um, it's longer and it's 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 pretty in depth. Uh, uh, beyond what we would uh, typically talk about in, in this podcast. But uh, there's an article from uh, Shira Ovid 
uh, in the New York Times on June 29th today, as a matter of fact, and um, I, it's it's really good. It basically suggests that yes, uh, there's a lot of concern right now in the post row world about. Um, you know, data being used against people, right? In the context of this, people going out of state to seek abortions. But that's not really what the article is about. The article is about uh, the fact that we there's just a shocking amount of data that's being both collected and stored on everyone that's engaged in the internet. And it, it's dangerous. And it's, it, it's rife for abuse. And um, I... Um, I, I, I still don't really know what the fix is here, right? Um, you know, yes, a national privacy law could do it. Uh, yes, more regulation could probably do it, uh, uh, or at least get a start in this direction. But we shouldn't ignore the prospect that these technologies, which uh, uh, many of us like um, and, 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 and a lot of us rely on to both do our jobs, to engage with others, to engage in commerce, to entertain ourselves, is rife with possibilities uh, for sinister action and that we need to be extra conscious about what direction we're going into and, and what, what's happening with our data. And, um, you know, the article isn't super long or anything, uh, 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 so I would recommend people read it. But it, it is a really, um, a really important part of, of, of kind of considering where we go next with this. The title of the article, by the way, is Our Data is a Curse with or Without Row. So, yeah, that is a, an outstanding recommendation, and I will look forward to diving into that one. Um, I've had a lot of thoughts about the degree to which, you know, I'm personally out there, uh, you know, sharing information and to what degree, um, you know, I mean, thankfully I haven't uh, made myself or, or involuntarily become a lightning rod <clears throat> for wrath. Um, but this does happen, you know, amidst the culture wars that continue to rage. And um, there's a there's a lot of thinking that I've I've done around that and I and and you know at a bare minimum the, the kinds of advice we've given people about having a password manager locking down your accounts auditing your accounts uh, being very proactive to try and reduce the potential for someone to be able to uh, steal your identity and and exploit. Um, yeah your information because you're repeating, you know, the use of a password and maybe you're using simple passwords uh, and you're not turning on things like two-factor authentication. All of those things are, are important, but there's things that go beyond that. And I think that it's a key thing that we, we can't and we should not wait for some privacy law. I mean, any more than we would want to wait for a government regulation or rule to, you know, save us. I mean, there's broad societal impacts of these things that we're not going to individually be able to change, but there are things that we could potentially do for ourselves and our family. Uh, and we need to take those kinds of steps. So I'm going to follow this. And, you know, like I said, for me, one of the things that I have done is not click the, yes, you can have access to all of my contacts. Yeah, is that going to make a huge difference in my life as far as privacy? I don't know, but it is something from a school standpoint to put on the teacher hat when we talk about this with students and with fellow teachers and colleagues and parents that we need to raise awareness. I mean, because a lot of times we're just clicking through. Yes. iTunes agreement. Yes. You know, you know, whatever the, the, the agreement is that we have to, to click on. 
the, the legalese that the lawyers have written, you know, in the midst of that, we can very easily be, you know, clicking a button that says, hey, yes, you can have all my contacts. And even when we install a Chrome extension, you know, what, what was the, the game that was the GPS um, power game that you, you know, go out with augmented reality and, and uh, you know, oh, anyway. um, Pokemon Go. <laughs> Thank you. See, you're you're so good. Uh, you know, the the developer of Pokemon Go originally there was some kind of glitch with the Google, you know, login credentials where they had you know edit, you know, pretty extensive read and even edit access over people's accounts and that that got amended. But we need people to be be careful out there, kids. It's a dangerous world. Um, seriously, we need to 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 think carefully and and watch what we are authorizing, what we're giving permission to. And Peggy's saying it takes too long to read all that detail, and most of it is not understandable. And I totally agree. I'm not yeah. saying read the whole agreement. But when it comes to things like do you want to – when you grant access, you know, that's one of the things that operating system developers have gotten better at doing is giving us more granular control over the permissions to access parts of our computer, to access our data, and things like that. So some of those tools are making things better, but um, – Anyway, it's it, it's a mess, and I think that article probably highlights highlights that far better than I'm I'm doing here. Yeah, well, Doctor Nut- is a good descriptor. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I let's see. Uh, let's just really fast mention Twitter. Twitter is rolling out a notes feature that um, is going to have a 2,500 word limit. So you would put, I think, a BBC News article from June 23rd, and then there's also a link I put in, which is an official Twitter support page uh, for Twitter write notes. And so uh, basically it looks like this is going to turn Twitter into almost a long-form blogging platform. You're going to have a 100-character limit, and it's going to look just like a tweet, but then you can have like 2,000 characters, in, and you can embed rich media as well as links. And so pretty interesting, and this will be a substantial uh, change to, to Twitter. So excited, disappointed, ambivalent. How do you feel? Um, I loved it when they doubled the character size, right? When they went from 144 to 288. Um, and I would also argue that one of the problems with Twitter is it's really hard to have nuanced discussions with people. And one of the reasons why I don't participate in ed chats very often anymore uh, they also seem to be going by the wayside ever so slightly. They're much less, which is interesting, right? Because you would assume that during the pandemic, people would have loved an opportunity to get online and 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 kind of chat with their colleagues and friends. Um, what I would say is that it turns it into a platform that uh, 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 gets rid of, I think, some of the value of Twitter of it being offhanded, short comments, short information back and forth. And remember, it was called microblogging, right? That was what, what they call this category of, of, of websites when, when Twitter started, what, 15 years ago. And, um, you know, to be super clear, um, you know, I, I, I don't always love the character limit, but I think this tries to turn Twitter into something that it's not. So thoughts for you? Well, I think they're probably just chasing growth, right? That's what social media companies tend to be doing. There was panic, you know, because Netflix has suddenly had a reduction in number of subscribers. And, you know, it's just terrible. Um, So I don't know. I think Twitter's great uh, as it is. Uh, Well, I say that. I mean, there's there's all kinds of dark sides and it's being weaponized. And there's, you know, there's terrible uh, 
you know, persecution of folks that, that happened. But in terms of the part of Twitter that I live in and I'm thankful to be a part of, it, it's very positive. Um, so this will be interesting. I don't see this as a, you know, a feature breaker or something like that. There has been quite a bit of buzz, and I don't know if we've talked about it a lot on the show with people wanting to leave Twitter. Ben Wilkoff, friend of the show, and we've, you know, he even came on early, early on in our uh, our episodes, uh, has completely left Twitter now in in favor of I think Mastodon. So anyway, it'll it's you know there's always change. So yeah, we'll there really it may be time for the Geek of the Week. I see it says 11 o'clock Eastern time in the corner of my <laughs> What the heck? You early yeah, we're, yeah. time. It's a good call, Dr. Fryer, that we're going to move this an hour earlier when you're an East Coaster. But um, let me just share mine really quickly. I finished a book recently uh, that I really enjoyed. Um, Andy Weir is the author of The Martian, which turned into the movie, which I thought was a great book. And he released a book last year called Project Hail Mary. It's another... Uh, space uh, 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 kind of science fiction book, uh, and uh, it's pretty nerdy but delightful. And um, if you're a teacher, I think, uh, especially a science teacher, I think it's going to have some special um, uh, uh, special uh, uh, significance to you. I listened to it on an audio book, but really great book. I highly recommend it. I kind of wish I had picked it up a year ago because I would have enjoyed it just as much then. So. Awesome. And I've got two quick ones. Uh, one, I recorded a podcast yesterday and this morning about this Carnegie Mellon Robotics Academy that I've been attending in Pittsburgh this week and uh, for days one and two. And so I recorded that on Anchor and posted that on my Speed of Creativity blog. You can check that out. And also, uh, <laughs> this is amazing. There's a video uh, called Prime Cuber, and this very, very smart person has used a standard Lego Spike Prime kit to code and develop a machine that will solve the Rubik's Cube in any configuration. So you just mess it up as much as you want, set it down, and the sensors read all the colors, and the algorithm is able to twist it and and solve the cube. And so we have a lot of middle schoolers uh, that are just fascinated with Rubik's Cubes, and uh, one of the teachers who's here, Kevin Pena from uh, Florida, was telling me about it. And so anyway, I just thought that was super, super cool. And that would definitely be something I want to share with my kids as like a wonder link or, or a curiosity link. So I think that may be it, sir. Would you like to take us out? Sure. Where can people find you on the Internet? I am uh, on Twitter, West Fryer, or W Fryer, um, but you can go to westfryer.com slash after and get all the channel links. How about you, Dr. Knife? I'm, find me on Twitter, uh, 288 characters max, tech savvy teach. But this here is the EdTech Situation Room, where a once a week podcast, where we go through all the headlines and try to shoot them through the education prison to provide you some insight and commentary. You can find us here on Wednesday nights right now at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Central Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Time Zone. But we're going to move one hour earlier, sometime later in the summer. So we will be at 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You want to make sure Dr. Fryer gets sleep each and every night, uh, each and every Wednesday night. If you can't join us live, although we wish you would, please download our podcast where refiner podcasts are aggregated. You can also go to our website, edtechsr.com, and download a tiny MP3 if that's the way you like to listen to podcasts, or go to our YouTube um, or Facebook uh, channels, and the video is there every week. We hope you have a great week. Stay safe, stay savvy. We hope to see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Have a good night.
Good night, everybody. An error occurred. Okay, it doesn't want to end the broadcast. <laughs> All right, I'm going to refresh the page and then try to end this thing. <laughs> oh, my gosh.